Well, Merry Christmas. I promised you last week that um, we would do Luke chapter 2. And so I've asked one of our students to come up here and read Luke 2. So LJ, come on up here. Did you bring your Bible? Yeah, it's on my phone. Oh. It's on his phone. You can do it there or... You know, I'm prepared if you want to do it there, either way. Yeah. Yeah. Is that all right? That's okay. Stand up there so they can see you. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Cornelius was governing Syria. So everyone went to register in each of his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea in the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and lied him in a manger. Because there was no guest room available for them, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock at night. Then then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David a Savior was born for them who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find them, you will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with an angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the, high, in the highest heavens and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to the heavens, the shepherds said to one of them, to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made us known to. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things, all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had both been told. Nice work. So uh, I want to ask you one question before you sit down. Obviously, uh, Jesus is born in that story. But other than that, what is the most prominent thing about that story that sticks out for you? I would say, maybe I'll step back up here. Yeah. Um, I think when the angels first came down and the shepherds acknowledging them and then also when they were first afraid and then just those words saying do not be afraid that just shifted um, in their mindset and then their actions and then they went and did what they were told to do. Yeah, if you saw a multitude of angels... I have to check my shorts. 
Yeah. Right on. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, we've said this before, uh, and Bill, I think you talked about watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special, and when Linus reads the, doesn't read it, he quotes it, he quotes the, the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. He's got his security blanket, but when he says, do not be afraid, he drops his blanket for the first time. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not, but Charles Schultz was intentional about that. But yeah, so that's a great pickup about uh, not being afraid. It says that quite a few times in the New Testament. Um, so teaching Luke chapter 2, <laughs> we do this every year, and it's kind of like, hard to keep the Christmas story fresh, but it is the Christmas story, and it's Christmas time. But today, I want to kind of share something with you about the two sets of visitors. The two sets of visitors would be the shepherds and the wise men that you uh, have at your nativity scene. Let me go back to verse 8. It says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in their fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I think, I think if I was to pick out something prominent, it would, it would be that right there. The glory of the Lord shone around them. Here, here, here's what you have to know. The glory of the Lord was the one that showed up on Mount Sinai to Moses when he gave him the Ten Commandments in the burning bush. And it caused, caused Moses' face to turn bright white because he saw the glory of the Lord. Then that glory of the Lord was the one that followed them around in the tabernacle as they moved around in the wilderness, the Jews. There was the glory of the Lord. Then Solomon built the temple and the Holy of Holies. There was the glory of the Lord. And then all of a sudden at the end of the Old Testament, the glory of the Lord goes away. Well, all of a sudden it appears. It appears to the shepherds. The glory of the Lord is back. The same one that was in the burning bush, the same one that was in the tabernacle, the same one that was in the temple. But here's the cool thing. Obviously, Jesus came, he died, buried, rose again, and the Holy Spirit came. Now guess where the glory of the Lord is? (laughs) Sitting right here in this room. In each one of you that believe in Jesus. That same glory that was right there that night in the nativity scene is right here. It doesn't get better than that, you guys. Come on. I don't care what you get for Christmas. The glory of the Lord has taken up residence inside of your mortal body. And that's what I'm looking at. And it's a beautiful thing. It says, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You who? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the shepherds. This will be a sign for you. What's the sign? If I sat here and asked you guys, you'd you'd all go, it's the star in the sky. No, that's not the sign says, this will be a sign for you. This will be a sign for you. 
you will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. How's that the sign? <laughs> Let's break this down. Uh, I want to bring my holy Mishnah reader up here. He hasn't been up here and made a, a presentation in a while, but Brent, uh, come on up here, buddy. He's going to read from the Mishnah, and uh, he's the only one in the room that can read from the Mishnah. I got my glasses. So uh, you're going to read uh, Baba Kama 7.7. Yes. Baba Kama. Seven point, I'll explain this here in just a second, but go ahead and read. You want me to hold it? I'll hold it for you. They may not rear small cattle in the land of Israel, but they may rear them in Syria or in the wilderness that are in the land of Israel. They may not rear fowls in Jerusalem because of the hallowed things, nor may priests rear them anywhere in the land of Israel because of the laws concerning clean foods. None may rear swine anywhere. A man may not rear a dog unless it is kept bound by a chain. They may not set snares for pigeons unless it be 30 wrists from an inhabited place. Thank you, Holy Missionary Reader. Can I have that? Thank you. Now, I know you're sitting there going, what just happened there? This is an expensive little book. Uh, but this is the Mishnah, and this is what the Pharisees, the Jews, the leader of the Jews, came up with. You see, God gave them, I'm using this microphone, take this away. God, God gave them the Ten Commandments, the Jews, not you. He gave the Jews the Ten Commandments. And then they got taken into captivity by the Egyptians and made slaves. And so they didn't feel like the Ten Commandments really protected them. And then they got taken into captivity by the Babylonians, pushed out of Israel, and they didn't feel like the law was taking care of them. So what did they do? They added to God's law. They made all these laws. If we do all these, if we do all these things, if we do all these things, then God will protect us. Well, how'd that work out for them? It ain't working out for him today. This is the Mishnah. This is the Pharisees' law. This is not God's law. You're not under this. <laughs> You're not under this. And honestly, when Jesus came, he knew this. And he tried to break every one of them. Because it wasn't his father's law. This was the Jewish law. It's the Mishnah. Now, why do I tell you that that's important? Because they literally said, you, you can't raise flocks or herds in Israel because it will contaminate. You can't. Well, that's a problem. Especially if you're expected to make sacrifices at the Holy Temple every year, right? Now, let, let me show you on a map. I, I want to... Let's go to the, the first map of Israel. Th this is kind of cool. I'll do it over here because more people can see this. But at the top, uh, this is Nazareth. This is the Sea of Galilee. If you go up here, this is Lebanon, Syria, Jordan today. Egypt is down here. But this is Israel. 
and at the top is Nazareth. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is the Dead Sea. This is the Jordan River. All right? Down here is Jerusalem, the second from the bottom, and the bottom one is Bethlehem. The bottom one is Bethlehem. So it is 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. When it said there in Luke chapter 2 that they had to go because there was a census being taken and he had to go to his hometown, they were living, Joseph and Mary in Nazareth. She's pregnant with child, about to deliver, and she had to go 90 miles south through Israel. (laughs) I'm glad it wasn't me. And so... From Jerusalem to Bethlehem, it's five and a half miles. Now, let let me show you, this is kind of important too. Uh, Let me show you what Israel looks like. I've got three slides, and we took these pictures when we were in Israel. And uh, I can't remember what mountain we're on, but this is actually looking over the area that will someday be Armageddon. But, But look how flourishing it is. It's green. This is Israel. Flip through those three slides. That's just what, when you think of Israel, you don't think of that, right? But, like, there's every crop, vegetables, and fruits, except for, like, seven, and don't ask me what the seven are, because I know what they are, but I can't remember off the top of my head, is grown in Israel. It's a fruitful country. It's one of the top medical places in the world. It's incredible. Now, if you go on the other side of the Jordan River, this would be the wilderness. Let's show them some pictures from the wilderness. This is the wilderness. This is is looking out from the top of Masada, Uh, but go ahead and slide over. That's the Dead Sea, but this this is how you picture Israel, right? But that's really Jordan. That's the wilderness. This this isn't Israel. This is Jordan. It's kind of important for you to know this. So if you can't raise flocks or herds in Israel where it's lush and the shepherds are in the wilderness, and literally you go over there today, you will see shepherds walking their sheep through the wilderness. I'm like, when do they eat? Well, you can grow th- things in there. There's, they've planted trees and stuff like that. You will find areas where they can actually feed and, and things like that. But it's kind of necessary that you know what's going on here. Because here's what's important, is if we're supposed to have sacrifices, sacrifices of animals, and they're in the Jordan, how do we get our animals, our pigeons, our doves, our calves, our sheep. How do we get that? They had they had temple service shepherds in the area which were responsible for raising sheep specifically for temple sacrifices. Which shepherds did the angels appear to? those that were close by in Bethlehem. Are you, are you kidding me? Like, these are the shepherds that are raising sheep to be sacrifices at the temple. And these are the shepherds that are going to show up 
at the birth of Jesus. Now, I know you may think that sounds ironic, but that's truly God. That's the way he works. They were the shepherds that were hired by the temple in Jerusalem to prepare the lambs for sacrifice in Jerusalem. That should cause you to think for a second. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now, I have a seminary professor that well, most of my seminary professors would travel uh, over to Israel, and we've been over to Israel. And when you go to Israel, you're required by law to have an Israeli guide, someone that lives in Israel. This is their, it's like their, the way that they make a living in Israel is touring. Like right now, they're, they're literally hurting because there's no tourism going over. We were supposed to be over there last week, and obviously we didn't get to go. But the tour guides who are required by law to take any group, even individuals around Israel, most of them are Jews. Most of them are Jews, which basically means they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But they can quote the New Testament for you better than, than anybody I know. They know the scripture. They know the history of Jesus. They, they know it. So when you're in Israel... You have these tour guides, and they explain the scripture to you. But when you go to Bethlehem, when you go to Bethlehem, it is a Palestinian area. And the Jewish leaders will not go to Bethlehem. And they hand you off to an Arab tour guide. And the Arab tour guide stays with you for the day while you're in Bethlehem. Is there a modern-day picture of Bethlehem? This is what Bethlehem looks like today. See construction going on and everything else. So we have an Arab guy that helps us through. And the seminary professor says this, that based upon tradition, based upon tradition, they can't find this in literature anywhere, but if an Israeli guide, a Jewish guide, and an Arab guide say the same thing and are in agreement, then it's probably true. But based upon tradition, Jewish tradition, whenever a woman would die, she was expected to be buried in her own clothes, her own linens. When you see people die in Israel, which you do almost every day, you see them wrapped in a linen. There is a procedure that takes place. Let me see if I can find it. Oh yeah, it's called... Tahara, a person who has died, is ritually bathed so as to leave the world as pure as he or she arrived. Prayers and psalms are recited. The deceased is then dressed in tekrichim to preserve modesty even in death. Men perform tahara for men and women perform tahara for women. Then there's two other, two other uh, things that they do. A person who has died is clothed in a white cotton or linen burial garment. There's so many things, formalities that happen when they die and they get buried. But what these tour guides told us is that any time that a woman dies, she has to be buried in her own clothes. So naturally, when they traveled, they would carry a burial linen with them. If Mary's going to travel 90 miles 
and there's a possibility that she could die, what did she take with her? Her burial linen. And this will be a sign unto you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. What did Mother Mary wrap her baby in? Her burial cloth. Hmm. Shepherds were the one that were raising sheep to be the sacrifice. Mary wrapped her child, her baby, in her burial linen. Something's going on here. Then you get to the story of the wise men. Three wise men, they saw a star in the east. They literally, you have to, you can't listen to some of the songs because the song, Christmas songs are messed up, but the star was in the east and they traveled to the west. In other words, they were probably in Jordan on one side of the river, saw the star, and they had to travel west. If they would have actually traveled east, it would have taken them a year and a half to get around the globe. But they traveled west to Jerusalem first and met the chief priest. And then the star, not Halley's Comet, but some supernatural star led them directly to the manger. (laughs) The manger. You know what that looks like, right? It's not some wooden hay thing because if it was, the animals would have just destroyed that thing into splinters. This is what an actual manger looks like. It's, it's made out of limestone, and it's a feeding trough. And it was there in, either in a cave or some kind of shelter. We're not really sure, but this is what Mary would have laid baby Jesus in, is this limestone trough called a manger. And here's the, here's the interesting thing, is not only was it a feeding trough, But at night, the shepherds would actually take the lambs and wrap them up and lay them in the trough to protect them from from other animals. So this trough was not only a bed for Jesus, but it was for other lambs. Hmm. Then these wise men, they finally make it to Bethlehem. And what do they bring? What do they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Y'all know what that stuff is? Yeah, like gold, I heard somebody say it. Uh, gold, you know, that's, that's, pretty, that's royalty is what that is. To bring gold to a baby at their birth, it just symbolizes royalty. But frankincense... Frankincense was a sacrificial incense. It was an incense that they used to make sacrifices. And then the myrrh, it was basically burial spices, embalmment. (laughs) I I visit uh, some of you that have had babies in the hospital. I've never thought about bringing you embalmment fluid to... (laughs) your baby being born, but obviously the wise men did. Why in the world would they do that? Because they knew. They knew. 
So you put all that together. You put all that together. That the shepherds were the ones that were making, growing these sheep up so that they could be sacrifices. Mary brought her burial linen to wrap the baby in. They placed Jesus in the manger where the lambs are there to be protected. And then they bought burial spices. You put all that together. And let me tell you, this is the Christmas story. What, what we see as a baby being born and, oh, this is special and everything else, there was only one purpose for this Christmas story was that the Son of God would come incarnate in human form, in flesh, to this earth and tell us the good news. And what's the good news? That this, (laughs) this is not the good news. This is bad news. The law, the law, and he walked the face of this earth perfectly without sin and he obeyed all of his father's laws and he said look we've proven from adam all the way up to here that you guys can't do the 10 commandments that you can't do the 613 laws in leviticus that you can't do the sermon on the mount you can't do it it's not possible And so therefore, because I've done it, Jesus says, because I've done it, I'm going to the cross. My blood will be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the baby Jesus. For the forgiveness of sins. And guess what? Here's here's the good news of the gospel. He died one time. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of all sin. All sin. You sit in this room and you think, ah, he couldn't have covered or died for forgiving me for my sin. Don't put yourself higher than Jesus' blood. He died for all sin, except for unbelief. You have to believe. That's it. It's like, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You take the Christmas present, and you open it, you unwrap it, and you enjoy it. That's what we do here is we understand our salvation, and now it's like we have the ability to just enjoy this life. I've got the, the glory of the Lord living inside of me. That's the problem with the church is that they don't realize the glory of the Lord is living inside of them. And they're still doing the law, which he died for. He's like, I did this. I got you covered. You guys just breathe. Oh, wait, I'll breathe for you. If you just let me. That's the Christmas story. Not all the world will see this baby boy they're celebrating the next few weeks like you have just experienced here. They won't see that he came as a one-time sacrifice, a one-time sacrifice for sin. And that the Messiah, that baby, he is absolutely worthy of worship. 
He's worthy of worship for the, for the shepherds, for the wise men. He came, one redemption, and he came to be crucified as a sacrifice for our sins. That's the greatest gift you'll ever get on Christmas Day. Father, I thank you for uh, your son who is the creator. All things were created for him and through him. And you made this baby who is the creator of the world the sacrifice for our sins. Oh, wow. So that we could have life in you. So that you could have life in us. That we could have a relationship. A daily, moment-by-moment relationship with you. That we can walk in forgiveness. We know that we're forgiven. We know that we've been made holy. That we're separated from the rest of this world. So I pray for my family and my friends and even myself that we understand that and grasp that this Christmas morning. Lord, thank you for loving us so well. For sending your son. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.